When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of All the President's Minutes is brought to you by Bella Catering. Bellacatering.com.au is where you can find Sydney's best catering company. And now they're doing home delivery. Um, check out what they've got. Get to it fast, Sydney. Victoria has already shut down, which is good. <laughs> they're acting like idiots down in Victoria, but we are no less idiots here in New South Wales. So, my dear friends and listeners and folks, you, of course, have come across folks who are not doing the right thing with COVID-19. You need to contact Bella Catering while you can. Get the people to your house now that you want to visit. Check their temperature before they get in the door. Make sure that they're hand sanitized. Feed them with some delicious Bella Catering food. Bellacatering.com.au. They are responsible for the show. This week, we must thank them. We must love Glenn and Maria and thank their team and everything they do. Now, let's get on to the show. This was much worse than we thought. Nixon was worse than we thought. What happened was worse than we thought. He violated the law. He compromised the office. And he left a deep and wide black mark in American presidential history. No, there will be no picture. Just take it right now. This is right after the broadcast. You got it? Come on. Okay. That's enough. My friend Ollie always wants to take a lot of pictures of me. (laughs) I'm afraid he'll catch me picking my nose. I can't believe that that guy was president of the United States because he is just branded in our national memory as a crook. And I think it's really important to understand the wrong approach to executive power that led Nixon to those crimes. Oh, you're on a level, don't you? Yes, yes. Good evening. This is the 37th time I have spoken to you from this office where so many decisions have been made that shaped the history of our nation. Ah. <sighs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to All the President's Minutes. I'm your host, Blake Howard. Joining me today is a man who doesn't even know what minute he's been assigned. And I've been in lockdown, man. And what is so awesome, you hear that? This is the first episode of All the President's Minutes that has been recorded face to face. I'm grasping the shoulder of the man that's sitting across from me, which is fucking exciting. And we're having a beer. It's a late night podcasting session. He's angry all the time about a variety of things, as we all should be. And he's um, a good friend and uh, an incredibly sharp film mind uh, and someone I wanted to get back onto the show because we haven't had too many repeat visitors in all the President's Minutes just yet. We spoke very early and actually we spoke in the middle of our own global climate crisis, the Australian bushfires, which had consumed the country. That's how long ago we spoke and the country was still essentially engulfed in flames and steaming hot on the day. I remember, I think it was something like 40 odd degrees on the day that we recorded our last episode. It was a hot day. It was a gross day. And now we're in the middle of and new spikes of COVID-19. So uh, I thought I'd get this guy back. He's... A writer all about town. If you've read him in Australia, you've read him at places like Metro, SBS Movies. He was the engine that ran filming for many a year. Uh, and uh, he's looking very svelte. COVID and uh, isolation is doing him good, doing him wonders. And he's ja- he got a new jacket. I'm excited to speak to him. I'm excited to see his face. Travis Johnson, welcome to All the President's Minutes. Thank you. It is really nice to be back, man. It is <laughs> really nice. It's nice to have you here. It's, it's nice. A, it's let's nice. let the people at home hear this. Look at that. One Heat Minute Productions has a studio, folks, and there's a man sitting in it. And this is, I, I, I couldn't be more happy. I couldn't be more happy that we're here, we're in the studio, we're talking. It's fun. It is. It is. So, 
all the president's men, we've spoken about your relationship relationship to it before. So what I thought might be good, considering I didn't even remember to tell you which minute, but I love how still game you are. Like, yeah, we'll figure it out on the way. Roll the dice. I can just keep it general. So we are we're in the mix of. Uh, a couple of crazy minutes where we've gone through and we're seeing Lindsay Krauss's character, um, Kay Eddie, be sort of absconded upon by the two journos asking her if she'll see an ex-fiancé for the list of the committee to re-elect the president. She has done a really gracious thing, even though Woodward sort of curbed their berating slash interrogation of her, and she's gotten the list. So we're in the midst of a lead a tangible lead of a bunch of people who are observing the political malfeasance and all round fuckery of those officers. And these guys finally have some names and they can start at least presuming hierarchical people knocking on doors, traditional shoe leather. So I think the best thing that we can do to kick this bad boy off before talking just the incredible world that we're living in right now that we weren't living in the last time we spoke on this show. Um, we should watch the minute. You guys can listen along. It is the 65th minute of Alan J. Piccolo's and Robert Redford's 1976 masterpiece, All the President's Men. This is now one hour, four minutes on your dial. So the 65th minute, that's where you want to be. Cue it up. Press play. Listen along now if you can't. Cue it up. Travis and I are going to watch together. We are really going to watch together, yeah. not just virtually, as sometimes happens. Really going to watch together now. You guys are going to listen along, and then we're going to come back and talk about it. You like the president? This is all in alphabetical order. You can't tell who works well, for who. Find out the department heads, like Mitchell, Magruder, Stans. Here, John Mitchell. What's the number? Three hundred one. All right, find somebody who has a number close to it. They probably work for. Here's a three hundred three. We have to find out how the money got from Maurice Stans, right? To the burglars. Right. Somebody who worked in finance. All right, here's the head of finance, Maurice Stans, 269. We can just get somebody who works under Stans. Uh, Sloan, you need him? No, he's the treasurer. What's okay. the number? It's, uh, Hugh Sloan, 287. Is there a secretary? Here it is. Manly. Irene. Irene Manley. Yeah. 1406 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway. Hi, I'm Bob Woodward. I'm Carl Burns. Uh, we're from the Washington Post. We'd like to know if we can speak to you for a few minutes. We understand your daughter works for the committee to re-elect. Wouldn't be anything embarrassing. Would you object to just spending... Yeah. There it is. Interesting. <laughs> Number crunching, data management. And also a nice little bit of now like, oh, that office is next to that one. That makes yeah. sense. That's some good stuff. And it's one of those moments... There's only a few that have happened recently that I've been talking about where David Chai makes himself present mm. by having the score happening. Like this is one of the first, there's only sort of a couple of sections of this film where his score kind of makes itself, uh, sort of overt. announces itself. Yeah, it's yeah. overt. It doesn't, it's all happening so deep background and very moody. But right now it's like, it is, you know, Cars moving, doors slamming, become these percussive notes to like to offset his you know swelling score, and it's got a like a tempo that's just like, and it's very kind of classical seventies conspiracy kind of yellow kind of parallax view kind of three days of the con. You know what I mean? Like, yes, like the Simpsons have parodied this exact tone so many fucking times. This exact scene when when Mr. Burns was running for. Running for election uh, and Lisa's crunching the numbers, right? Oh my gosh. Um, and if we look at this visually, it's really interesting because the only face you see in this entire sequence is that guy at the end who slams the door in their face. About so, 50 seconds in, there's yeah. a guy with... So, so even when Redford and, and, and Hoffman are on screen, we just see the backs of their heads and everything else is like, first it's a, it's a page of like names and numbers and a finger tracing that. We close, close in on some of that. And then it's traffic. It's like the overhead shot of the parking lot and them, them driving through the streets of, of Washington and, and the sort of grey drab buildings there. It's a very impersonal minute because it's talking about uh, systems and how people are organised in the systems and social and, and capitalist and political structures and how those are corrupt and and subject to manipulation and how it takes a certain kind of brain and, and dogged determination to to pass this deliberately confusing information 
in order to to get a lead and to and to to get a to get someone on the hook. It's it's one of the things that struck me in this minute, and it's kind of it's I've got I got to talk around it to get back to where I want to talk to it is. I I was really lucky. I travelled to Rome earlier on in my life. I tra- was travelling overseas. It wasn't this year. It wasn't. It certainly wasn't this year, and it may not ever be any other year. <laughs> but I was travelling to Rome with, for a friend's wedding, and it was in Italy in in Tuscany. And so we stopped off at Rome as you do because you got to fly in there from Oz. And um, I remember looking at the huge roundabouts in Rome and thinking like around these huge monuments or multi mm. multi-directional circular routes around huge monuments that have got to manage, you know, three and four lanes of traffic either side of the road, a huge amount of pedestrians, obviously is one of the biggest tourist things in the world and looking at it. And because you aren't from there going, how the fuck does this even work? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I, I, I've been in a country that has roads and roundabouts and it even has monuments, but I don't, I'm looking at something that I should know how it works and I do not understand. And I love the visuals of car parks and these interlocking things because there's something, there's something, I don't know whether it's Pakula who's just a fucking genius, which is very, very potential, or whether it's just the weird energy that, Washington DC gives off, but there's something about when you see all of the traffic and you see other than the fingers and you see the cars moving out of the car park and you see them driving through the roads and you see them even approaching like a huge roundabout where there's this like greater looking building. It looks, looks, looks like a giant cheese, excuse me, it looks like a giant cheese grater. When I'm looking at that, I'm going, all these things should make sense. All these things should interlock, but it's like, I've been struck Deaf, like there are th- there's people in front of me and they're speaking another language and I do not understand it. And I think that parallels the the audiences. Um, thank you. Uh, he just pointed the microphone <laughs> at my mouth, folks. He's a good host. Uh, but it parallels the audience's experience of, of trying to pass the information that the the characters are passing. Yes. Because like at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter if you follow how they've put together this data. Yes. It just matters that that data leads them to this guy's doorstep. Yes. So if your eyes kind of glaze over when they're sort of going, oh, this floor's here and they, they walk, they work next to and each other. And it's, blah, blah, it's blah. completely fair on yeah. like even your first five watches of this yeah. to not have any clue the rationale. You're like, what? Like if you, if you, as we do sometimes like, dual screen it yeah. if you dual screen it for two seconds or you have kids or there's a noise in the other part of your house or your dog gets up to move and like walk around in a circle to find a new spot on the floor that's better than the previous spot you will miss this like you have to be focusing on the rationale yeah. and the and the names can be a bombardment but i think that like that that's the like, the blessing of the scrutiny of this exercise is Absolutely. like and you, it does it does all make sense but i think the uh pecula's choice of, of visuals here kind of reinforces that sort of confusion that of information, but also kind of says you know it, it, it's okay. It's, it's like okay. You're meant to be a little overwhelmed here. Like <laughs> this is supposed to be confronting. Yes, and you should. You know, this mystery shouldn't be easy to solve because, like, if it is, yeah. It's, what does it, that say about w- us? It's, it's we don't. At every turn, we want these guys to be pushing shit uphill. Mm. Like that is. It's like it, anything that is worthwhile is these guys pushing shit uphill. Absolutely. And so it's just, it's this layered little brilliance of once you get the revelation, it's actually them being able to understand it. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's, and I think in other movies, they've kind of touched on it. We had, um, we had uh, very recently, it was like uh, Oliver Stone Snowden, or we had uh, The Fourth Estate that came out with Benedict Cumberbatch as, um, as Julian Assange. It's like sometimes when you get these big dumps of, or there was like anonymous sources, like dumping information into these um, outlets or people discovering things and then, you know, um, are passing it on to other media outlets. It's like they have to de- like actually get it decode it and then go, what the hell is it? Like, what is it? How many stories? Interpret it and and, and make (laughs) make editorial decisions about it, um, which Uh, apparently makes the mainstream media untrustable. I don't know. (laughs) It's a very weird time. It's a very weird time, folks. Uh, But no, like this also speaks to like, we know now, we know now more than at any other time in history that that passing a lot of information is a difficult job, man. It's fucking tough. Um, And you only have to look at, I don't know, the past six months. Uh, eight months, if oh, you include. Has something happened yeah, in the last been, been six months? Year. No one is ever forgetting 2020. <laughs> 
Fuck me. It, it, it is an unbelievable year. Mm. I, I mean, I think when we were... When we, when we last caught up face-to-face, we were both worried about how our country, especially our regional areas and, and tourist hubs and a lot of working-class people who, like, rely on these seasonal peaks to kind of yeah. help them coast through the rest of the year. How the hell are these people going to survive a year where things have been burnt out, no one has money, like, one of our peak holiday seasons is just engulfed in smoke. No one wanted to leave the house at that time. Yeah. I certainly didn't with the kids and my family, and I know that you, like, we barely left the house some of the days because, you know, you worried about smoke and whatnot and, you know, a lot of Christmases and all that sort of thing was, you know, ruined as a as opposed to just places being burnt out, houses being lost, all those other things that are actually real as opposed to your experiential stuff. And, and now we call that time the good old days. <laughs> Remember when Australia was just on fire? Uh, the halcyon days of January 2020. <laughs> Far out, man. And what a time. But no, but if you look at, you know, the uh, the misinformation, the uh, the conflicting information, the the obvious deliberate uh, conspiracy theories and... and, and uh, and attempts at deflection, uh, the politicizing of public health issues, all this stuff, um, which, you know, you like to think that the average person is rational. But maybe the irrational people have a bigger voice in the, in, uh, in the online space. But, you know, like, shit's getting crazy out there, man. It is crazy. It's, um, it's, it's uh, I'm finding it, uh, the, the hardest thing to look at is, you know, one of the things I love about this film is that, there is absolutely an understanding of like political allegiances and, but the undercurrent is ultimately respect. Mm. And I think it's about the framing of different political arguments are always like, if you, if you criticize, but with respect and you have facts that underpin it, then we can come to an agreement that something is morally right or morally wrong. And the great, and and the rules of the game are set. They're fixed. Yes. It's like, if you do the right thing, that's right. If you do the wrong thing, and then there may be the knife's edge of right and wrong in in some issues, but it's right and wrong is it, it is kind of black and white. And I think what is crazy is, and this is what you think of like you, you remember all those movies from the nineties, like Independence Day, where there's like an external threat that isn't another nation that is a uniting force for the world, everyone and e- comes together. everyone comes together. And it's like it's not true. There's nothing better than a virus to to help you understand that like that's essentially a an external threat, mm. um, a really insanely unlucky thing that has happened in the world for whatever reason. It is mutated. It is there. It exists, and it kills you know two percent of or two to three percent of people who get it, and therefore two to three percent of the world's population is. Good. I think I would just carry the two. It's a fuckload of people. And so you go, this seems like an opportunity for people to rally around something to help one another. And in some countries it's done unbelievably. And you look at like people standing in stadiums in New Zealand, watching rugby crying and cheering. And then you look at the United States and it's, it's unfathomable to me when I look at this, this country that is depicted in this film as the country that is now that we are looking at. What I find interesting is that uh, traditionally back uh, when the world was sane, the Nixon administration was seen as sort of the, the, the low watermark yeah. of, of American governmental malfeasance, <laughs> corruption, <laughs> criminality, wrongdoing. Now we can kick that ball back and forth if you want, because you know, at any administration Bullish. you can pull out examples and go like, well, what about this motherfucker? So, well, that's <laughs> true, man. But, Come on, Nixon. And then you look at the current situation with Trump. Finally, someone said the name. And you look at this, all the president's men, and it's like... Nixon's dreamboat. The the good old days. The good old days. (laughs) Nixon's a fucking dreamboat. Like, he might have been a demon, but at least he knew how to wear a fitted suit. (laughs) Oh, that's the most petty king response I've had to the Nixon presidency on this show. I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah, like um, I I look at I look at Nixon and and I I don't know if I've mentioned it a couple of times on the show or once on the show definitely, but absolutely tre- tremendous twenty nineteen documentary film called Apollo Eleven, mm. where um a, a filmmaker and his name escapes me this this second. I'll just I'll look it up in just a moment, but I have an interview with him on SBS. Dot com, dot oh, there, there you go. So it's an assembly of 
rediscovered 65mm film of the entire Apollo 11 mission. That is, that, you know, because, you know, scientists wanted to document the mm. incredible feat of human ingenuity that got America to the moon. and Especially if they didn't get to do it again. Especially. Always on the cards. Which was definitely on the cards. And so the incredible, the incredible footage being put back together, it is just such this soaring, rallying cry of like, wow. No matter how much we concern ourselves with, you know, and, and rightly so, is the effects of climate change or social issues, like when human ingenuity is given the opportunity to rally around something, really magical things can happen. Mm. And in that movie, there's an amazing moment where Nixon features, and I was in the depths of this project planning and getting ready for it, and I was like, there's a moment where Nixon comes on and he says this beautiful and articulate and emphatic world citizenship rallying cry and i thought man he's he's definitely corrupt and he's an egomaniac and he committed some of the worst political malfeasance but for all of his flaws he actually was a statesman he knew what an occasion was he knew that right now every single person in the english-speaking world and beyond is going to be hearing my voice as our country plants our flag on an and on a celestial body <laughs> and people are really proud of human ingenuity to do that and what that means for our country in terms of innovation and, and you know passion and all that stuff. And he didn't he didn't sound he made the country sound better. He made the the possibility of you know American exceptionalism, you know, he, he made that manifest in in talking and 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 you know announcing and congratulating to his astronauts. And I thought in that moment when I was watching that documentary, it just reinforced something. There is no fucking way in hell that the current president of the United States could ever say anything remotely as articulate, remotely as selfless, um, or, or underscore and unify Americans around a rallying cry of this exceptional thing. There's just no way that it would ever happen. And and in a contemporary America, even with a president as inspirational and as articulate as Barack Obama, uh, you look at him you look at him and you look at who's followed him and you just it doesn't even seem real. We we are in the darkest timeline. It is very <laughs> weird. Uh, if we're gonna jump from the uh, sublime to the ridiculous I, I recently did an article on Total Recall. Uh, that yes. other fine political thriller yeah, it is. of the past, because uh, it's its 30th anniversary, and uh, one of the things I brought up is like, yeah, you know, it's not very subtle, but isn't it weird how all the most bizarre and over-the-top like sci-fi satires of the 80s and 90s now seem really prescient? <laughs> yes. This dark year of our Lord 2020. <laughs> you, know, when you, you can look at stuff like De uh, Demolition Man, just go, mm. oh, yeah, 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 on the money. Yep. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> All this stuff, we're like, ha, isn't that funny? Yeah. A year and a half ago. It's like, oh, all right. Okay. Yep. You know, we've got, uh, you know, wall basically walled off prisons in Melbourne at the moment. You mm -hmm. know, like tower blocks being patrolled by, well, judges, basically. It's <laughs> fucking judge threads <laughs> happening down there. So the, this is the problem with going back to watch like All the President's Men, which is this, you know, very cerebral, very serious, very incredibly well-made, wonderful political thriller. Um. I don't think we'll ever see a movie like this again simply because the subject matter doesn't exist anymore. No. When you when someone goes back to make a, you know, their fucking political drama about the Trump administration, who do you get to do that, man? Oliver Stone will be dead by then. <laughs> <laughs> Oliver Stone's the only guy that could do it. Mm. Um or um what's his face? Big Short. Uh Oh, Adam McKay. Adam McKay. Big Give Short it, is a terrific film. Big Short is fantastic. Yeah. Give it to McKay. Give it to McKay. Yeah, McKay doing the Trump administration. I would watch the shit out of that. Yeah, I would too. I, I, it's so hard because it's all so stupid. The the thing, uh, I've spoken to a couple of guests and I, I often talk about it because my friend Sean Burns, great friend of the show in One Heat Minute Productions, great Bostonian film critic, talks about, you know, as a kid, his parents being obsessed with the Watergate trials and then, and you could buy the transcripts of the Nixon yeah. tapes and you could get the trial transcripts and stuff like that, that came in these big phone book size things. And eventually after his parents read them, there were great doorstops in his house. And I love that visual. I just, oh, I've sometimes reference it and think about it. And I just think I would, 
I would love to read those Nixon tapes. Like oh, I would, yeah. I would, I'd be fascinated. But I, I can barely read a Trump tweet. <laughs> I don't want. I don't. I, there's nothing it's like, because the syntax is so bad. It's not that you're like you're not running out of attention. You're just like those words don't go together. And it's it's. I think it's both those things. It's that the syntax is bad, but it's like I, there's nothing. There's nothing there. There's there's surface, and then it's deflection. Like it's it's stupid statement, factual inaccuracy, really ill prepared and dumb attempt at comedy from in that in the hackiest most bullshit way, and then. When people call him on all of the factual inaccuracies or the flat-out lies or the tactless approach that he's taking to uh, elucidate something that is really serious, Mm. you then get the propaganda machine of Fox News that's just like, yeah, it's fine. Well, even Fox have abandoned him now. Who's the new one? The America First uh, Oh my god, Is that it? Is that them? Like, my eyes kind of (laughs) glaze over. I just... But there's a new further right... Like news network, further right, yeah, further right than Fox, because Fox has actually <laughs> been critical of, of some of his like more outre statements. <laughs> and, 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 and I, I think I saw, I think I saw Hannity the other day mm. go on and go, if wearing a mask means that I can have baseball back, I'll wear a mask. Yeah, and I'm like, wait, did someone just wait, ha- say a rational statement yeah. of like, let's not politicize something, let's just try and you know, if we can think about did someone what- bend Hannity over and ram a <laughs> straight up his asshole till it connected with the base of his brain. Yes. It's like, wait, what did someone just say something objective? And there've been plenty of opportunities, right? Mm. It's, it's, and what, what's, what's crazy. And this is something that I don't know if you or I are ever going to answer, but it's just a fascinating deliberation that you have is that when Nixon made his decision, which ultimately is the culmination of the film in teletype to resign, it is the pre the thing that the film doesn't cover, but obviously the different the layers of the different books and and things like that that and reporting does cover in a lot of detail and and later on is Nixon is not only worried about his ultimate standing in American history because he has yeah. that hubris and and he wants to he wants to be remembered as a president who who accomplished things the the pressure of the Republican Party to say yeah we'll take like We'll take the L on you, yeah. but we will get another candidate. Mm. That doesn't seem like the Republican Party that exists now, who all of their major candidates were like screamed down off podiums by by Trump and bullied out of the race. I mean, without him following this cult of personality, it just doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like they're ever going to have a candidate they feel like they could replace him. Okay, so the, the current Republican party core is, is so far to the right that it's ludicrous yes uh but there what we should also be worried about is there is a current movement um called the new lincoln movement i believe i was just listening to it uh to a podcast about it today on my while i was waiting for you to show up <laughs> um and it's basically right-wing activists like republican conservative activists alienated by trump yes who are basically trying to wedge the Democratic Party. So they want the core of the Democratic Party going forward to resemble the Republican Party up until the the, the primaries of, of, of 2016. Yes. Now that's horrifying. It is. Because mean, that means it's right wing versus far right wing. <laughs> and there, there's no sort of progressive or even, you know, what passes for fucking progressive or liberal in, in, in the States option at all, which is like... Like I need to sit down. <laughs> like, that's that's nightmarish. Yeah, it's it's like that. Um, it's it, it. I think it's one of those. It's one of those things where it was like, who was it? Was it Rand Paul who ran, um, ran in the election with George Bush Senior and Bill Clinton in that first election? And Rand Paul's sort of centrist right or libertarian yeah, anti-war. Anti-war guy, guy, but he had, there was, there was this great bridging of, he had, he had very, in some respects, very progressive, but also had some conservative bent, especially when it was fiscal policy, et cetera. Mm. And he sort of bridged this gap. And so what happens, it didn't actually chew into the Clinton vote Mm. as much necessarily, but it demolished the Republican base because so many Republicans flooded anti-war Republicans yeah. flooded towards the Rand Paul vote. And that's what ultimately got Clinton elected at the time, because it's those, those sort of things. That's kind of the, the sort of 
So extremely what summarized version of that. So we, we need another libertarian to kind of step up to the plate and go, hey, vote for me. You, you won't win. <laughs> you will not win. But we'll get the orange boy out, and that's all that matters. But this is what's interesting, okay? So like like uh, Nixon, bless him, and I'm the only person in history who will ever say that, <laughs> resigned. Yeah. But one of the questions circling around Trump is like, so if he loses, will he go? Like, will he step down willingly? Like, if he legitimately loses the election, or does he say fake result, fake news, the fix is in, my Praetorian Guard is standing by, what does the Secret Service do, what do the Marines do? What happens if if the Emperor refuses to step down? And I'm not saying that will happen. I don't. I actually don't think I'm, that'll happen. I, I think that's crazy. I, but I, I think it's crazy, but it's it's it's. <coughs> you know what's crazy about it? It's plausible. Yeah, <laughs> it's the, so plausible. The, but the fact that the conversation, the talking point is out there. Yes. Okay. And and like Biden's brought it up. Mm. Okay. It's not just people like me going. Oh, what if he tries to stage a coup? When you know the the Democratic. Uh, this isn't a threat on nominee presumptive is going like well you know we have systems in place to deal with that. It's like. No one's ever had to bring that up before in the history of the Republic. No. I mean, he's going to leave. He's going to go play golf. That's yeah. the only... <laughs> he is over. But also, also in comparison to Nixon, there's a man who clearly doesn't care or doesn't understand how to care about his place in history. No, he doesn't give... A rat's about that. Oh, no, I think he does. I just think he's working from different metrics to, like, every sane human being on the planet. <laughs> I think what he considers as victories and monuments we would consider as insanity. Yeah, I, I Like this garden of American heroes they're putting together in the middle of a fucking, you know, pandemic with, you know, bodies getting stacked in the streets and, <laughs> and states not having enough PPE for their, their first responders. And, you know, he's like, well, let's build a garden of American heroes just as kind of move the needle back away from all those horrible black people who are tearing down those Confederate <laughs> statues. Oh, for fuck's sake. And, you know, the, the great irony of all of that, and, and, and Dave Chappelle even said it in his extremely insightful 23-minute, I mean, atomic bomb of a, of, a, of a little document, 846, where he was just like, a lot of those statues were put up in response mm. to activism in the 60s. Yeah, yeah, no shit. No shit. <laughs> a lot of, like, there's so many of them that were, that were put up. It's like there were, there were states that were so staunchly opposed to the civil rights movement that they were like, oh, we're going to just celebrate all of our Confederate heroes and we're going to build new statues yeah, to them in the 1960s. An there's an outfit still exists uh, called the Daughters of the Confederacy who are responsible for so many of those goddamn things. Daughters of the Daughters Confe of the Confederacy, and they are just terrible, waspy, racist white bitches who hate black people and like grey uniforms and horses. Um, <laughs> hence, statues to them everywhere. I mean, look, if they want grey uniforms, Starship. We talked about Starship Paul Bowen, Troopers. Starship and, Troopers. And there's nothing politically <laughs> sus about that movie whatsoever. <laughs> It's so funny you bring up Paul Verhoeven. I watched a, a fun documentary the other night called You Don't Know Me. Mm. Know Me spelt N-O-M-I. I have got to see that. It's I'm very fun. To see that. It's very fun. Uh, I watched it. Um, uh, and it, it for, for anyone who hasn't uh, hasn't heard about it, it is essentially a, a, a revisiting and a reclamation, if you like, of Paul Verhoeven's Showgirls and sort of charts the critical response to it and then how people have come back around to it and its place in queer culture and mm. drag culture and sort of cult movie nights that originated in San Francisco and, and how the critical response um, at the time, and especially um, coming out of like a Aben Adam Naiman um, wrote a really terrific uh, book on it uh, that sort of reclaims it, that it's not like a bad, like it's not a bad, it's not a great movie. Um, it is it's not a great movie. It's not a trash movie. It's one of those things that is both great and trash. And and ultimately, like a lot of Verhoeven's movies, it is playing to the satire and excess of America. And I think that people looked at it and thought that it was being serious, serious and grotesque, and and, and sort of and and like sexually insane because that's the only way you can describe the sexual activity that happens in that movie but it's like it is a satire of those things and so it's sort of come back around in the consciousness so it was this fun little documentary and it was yeah speaking of Verhoeven and speaking of America and when I was watching it I was just thinking again sometimes satires they push they push against buttons and they rail against things in such a way that it jar it's jarring and it's mm. only in upon reflection you're like wow actually that that was really meaty and 
you know, I, I don't want to spoil too much of a, what is a wonderful episode coming out with Matt Zoller-Zeitz um, uh, in minute. I think it's, I think it's in the 105th minute of this film. Um, it's the first rat fucking minute uh, of discussion with deep throat in the garage. And, um, you know, Matt was just talking about how this movie feels. Now I'm talking about all the president's men feels like a fantasy. Yeah. Like when we started this project, cause Travis was on in the, within the first few episodes of the show, this was a, a prescient document about a sort of blueprint of the tireless, and sometimes thankless pursuit to hold truth to power and to, and, and, and to validate the fourth estate and to lionize really powerful acts of journalism that ultimately helped to bring, to hold people to account who, who don't get held to account by any, by any other mechanism. Whereas now you're like, nah, <laughs> fake news, <laughs> baby, fake, fake news. It's like, there, there is, there is nothing that the Trump presidency uh, that I've seen so far could do. That there is nothing that they could do. I, I, I think in my mind right now that, that, would have him ousted. Like, would have him. Uh, I mean, and I'm and I'm talking about unless he was like, like Tony Scott in the Last Boy Scout and like had like like opened one of his next press conferences by murdering a black person into <laughs> like in a press conference. You know, like uh, 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 like. He'd still find a way to say that it was fake news. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a deep fake, right? <laughs> it's a, it's a just, deep fake. Just like in The Running Man, they put his face <laughs> on. See, that's another person. Like um, it's nuts. What broke my heart, not really broke my heart, because, you know, fuck Republicans, but um, what really kind of shook my faith in, in humanity and bipartisanism is the way that the, the Republican establishment rallied around Trump. Uh, yes. Particularly at the time of the impeachment, where it was clear that he needed to go, and they just went, no, we have we have decided to disregard the evidence. And at that point, you know, all are guilty, all are complicit. Yeah. Okay, you, and you can't walk that back. You had the chance to pull the trigger on this fuckhead, and, and you decided not to. And if they did it, yeah, this is what I don't understand. Well, if they did it, we'd have Mike Pence p praying in the streets for a cure to COVID and probably twice the death toll, <laughs> so I don't fucking know, man. <laughs> but... Um, but, you know, it'd be different. <laughs> These laughs, I promise you, are laughs of like, I have no other reaction to what that could be like. Mike Pence, even worse. Yeah. Not wearing masks. Not wearing masks. And it'd be like fucking Gilead over yeah. there. All right? <laughs> oh, jeez. It's already like. Yeah. Gilead in some of those states. See one of these freaks who calls his wife mother? I get the feeling that he does. <laughs> like, oh, me and mother were watching <laughs> The Late Show the other day. Oh, oh, God. God. <laughs> no. No. We can't have that. We no. simply cannot have it. I, I, it's, I mean, if he's impeached and Pence goes in, ultimately there's a power vacuum. Mm. Like, I just don't. So let, let's uh, just then you get enough like rat fucking within the Republican ranks. See, I brought it back around in the movie. Yes. Um, well done. To mean that, you know, we basically kind of don't have anything catastrophic happen until the election comes around and the Dems win. Because yes. Because the Americans, like, you can't run with Pence, like, in the front, man. Like, no. No. No, 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 no. You don't lead with that face. No, no. And, and I, I think that there just seems to me like in, and, you know, and this comes back around to politics in our own country. It's like there have been, there have been plenty of power vacuums that have happened in Australian politics. Like when some of our leaders have gone so far right that the more centrist parts of their party have wanted mm. to bring them back. And it only has to happen to sort of the Tony Abbotts of the world. Um, uh, who to make sure everyone else kind of goes, eh, maybe uh, not that far. You're not that far. And then you, in the the person who was incumbent, the person who essentially ousted him mm. is gets out gets undercut and re-ousted, which yeah. is Peter Dutton, who's just equally or if not further, a more deplorable and disgusting right wing person. And it's just like sent uh, sent sort of conservative folk, like a, a stack of like especially working class folk who are more conservative, especially in our super multicultural um society that we have in Oz, like there there's definitely, you know, more religious especially religious-based conservative folk, I think just get preyed upon and capitalized upon mm. a lot of the time by um, uh, sort of 
Western conservatives because they're just like, oh, we just want to say the buzzwords that make you vote for us, but we don't actually yeah, give a shit. Yeah, we don't actually give a shit about you. We don't actually give a shit about you. We are you. really letting our political flags fly on this episode. <laughs> like, in, like in case you've ever been in <laughs> doubt, folks. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I'm, I, I'm to the left over here. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm definitely. I'm definitely over there too. Uh, I, I mean, in case you haven't wondered, <laughs> listening to this show, um, but but I think you know this is the other thing is. I think as part of this show, and I know that we, we may not necessarily have gone on the record with it with an article or something like that, but the thing that I am thankful for in Australian politics is while I think that our current Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, is ultimately a dullard and I'm not a fan of his with a lot of his policies, I've been so thankful to live in this country and watching our Prime Minister defer the decision making around how we respond to a virus to our chief medical professionals but that is because of his mishandling of the bushfires <laughs> yes because like it's the one two punch yeah we got through the bushfires and he fucked the pooch on that one <laughs> and then suddenly covid hit and i swear to christ someone just got him by the shirt front and went if you drop the ball on this, this. we are unelectable for a decade yes so don't fuck this up Bang money in the social security. We'll walk it back as quickly as we can. And the fuckers are already trying. Yes. But just for now, just band-aid everything. Listen to the guys tonight they're talking about. And we'll, we, we'll just get through this as fast as we can. Because it's not about the short-term economy. It's actually about the long-term electability. Yes. That's it. That's it. And we can continue to then... We can continue to praise what we've been able to do with mm. an international crisis and sell like people on our response to this thing. So whoever was in his ear, what I can say is he listened. Yeah, and brilliant, while, brilliant political <laughs> operator, whoever the fuck that was. Whoever whoever the people were that helped make those decisions made them. And so, you know, you look at some folks in the States and different people responding badly and different governors and all this. And uh, it's the one thing where you're like, I relish our smaller population in, in a lot of respects and I relish that the national government made calls and imposed certain things and basically said to the states, you operate within these parameters mm. <laughs> and this is what our national uh, uh, heads of heads of medical professionals, you know, chief medical officers are saying, and we're going to do that so you operate within their guidance. And I just think that you then come out of it and you're like, man, at least the the humility to go... I am not the guy who's going to stand up here and tell people to drink bleach and sunburn themselves. Yeah, the bar's pretty fucking low. It's low. <laughs> but I'm just saying at least the deferring of to expertise is is relief. It's like, to me, that goes, at least then you're not down the rabbit hole with someone talking nonsense every day. Yeah. And then sometimes there are hard-hitting questions. What do you think? What do you think? And at least you think, because the journalists aptly are trying to, you know, ask personal opinions. It's like, I'm going to defer my. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to respond in the way that our chief medical officer recommends. As a, as a citizen of this country and as the leader, I'm going to role model what our chief medical officers say. The guard, the PhD is on it. And also, the other great outcome of this is WA is now effectively its own country, which is <laughs> what I, as a, a former WA resident, uh, can say. It's what we've wanted all along. Oh, it's what you've wanted Fuck all along. Fuck you, people. <laughs> we are out. Uh, yeah, man. <laughs> the. the uh, was it the uh, oh, what was the name? something league? Uh, ah, it doesn't matter. But yeah, the the, the uh, WA independence movement never really went away. It's no. just been sleeping. It's been sleeping and waiting to shut that border. It's a big yep. border. It's a big border. Yeah, but yeah, most of it's uninhabitable. So <laughs> most of it doesn't need patrolling. We just leave you to your own devices. Dehydrate out there. Yes, absolutely. Uh, look, it's and it's so weird. It's it's just a weird. It's. It's a strange time. It's nice to talk about this movie and to and to hope that these institutions and things and and the other thing is just to remind people to stay urgent and stay angry and and keep holding things to account because the other thing exactly as you just said, Trav, that I, I think that that I love about this film and what it inspires us in terms of critical thinking is just going you need to keep holding people to account and digging underneath some of the detail. And that's what mm. great investigative journalists are doing all the time is like going, here's this overarching statement and here's the actual detail that matters to the individuals and people. And then when they see that there's weirdness happening, it's to press it. Yeah. It's to put your accelerator on it and go, why is this ambiguity here? And why is this weirdness here? And why is that sort of stuff? And, you know, thankfully the, the Black Lives Matter movement for the current polit political party is, is it's still simmering, but there's been a lot of 
societal responses to that that and 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 knowing that it's on people's mind and it matters deeply to people um because our you know i think that was the the latest greatest snafu from our current prime minister saying that there's never been slavery in this country whoops whoops and then that person who shirt fronted him about covid said shut the fuck up you're very electable if you say anything else you're gonna fuck this up just need to make sure no one keeps digging in the sports rorts or uh, what happened in the recent by-election and the uh, money going in a that electorate. Yeah. Uh, the Great Barrier Reef Foundation. That's one of my favorites. They oh. tried to phone me up for a donation the other day. I was like, motherfucker, you got like half a billion off the government. What are you hitting me up for? I'm a freelance writer. I got no money. Uh, I And the other big thing I think both of us can agree on, because this is just the, the sort of hegemonic media in Australia, sort of usually we don't really need a Fox News in this country because usually... Murdoch takes care of it. Murdoch takes care of it. And also they kind of tow the party line to a mm. certain extent. It's either they're towing the party line and they're in the pockets of every politician and just sort of regurgitating kind of blindly in a, in, in a lot of the commercial media anyway of what the what the company line is, so to speak. Um, but, you know, we've had fucking deplorable people like Pauline Hanson, um, mm. a, an Australian political entity for about 20, I want to say, almost like 23, 24 years in this country that has been propped up from the platform of these large media conglomerates and has been getting away with it. And they're like, oh, now, just today, we're going to not put her in our show anymore. And it's like... You, Why did you it take this fucking... You long? don't have to apologize for today. You have to apologize for 23 years of us enduring this idiot, this moron who can barely speak. And it's like, thankfully, the political entity in our country who's a moron and can barely speak and is blatantly racist isn't the Prime Minister. Like, it hasn't manifested to that, thankfully. But, still ahead of the curve there. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, look, that's the that's the dumb response. That's For me, that's the, the outlandishly stupid response is that, like, these media companies hired this person to do a job that they knew was going to do, that they knew is racist, and they're like, yeah, like, well, she said something racist that we knew she was going to say, oh, we can't have her. And it's like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And it's not like they can turn around and go, well, the tenor of the times has changed. I mean, apart from the obvious sudden uh, uptick in awareness of, of racism and, and institutionalized uh, racism, but it's not like you can sort of look at what she said 20 years and go, oh, that back then it wasn't that controversial. Like, yes, it fucking was. But, right? but, we but, always knew. But, but they always knew and they looked at it like a car crash. I think it was that whole, that thing that, we are only going to be able to look at a review in hindsight about the, the kind of perverse curiosity of the thing. Mm. Like when Trump came out, it was a perverse curiosity. People like, man, I can't believe this guy's saying all this stuff. He's never going to be elected. Yeah. And, that, and in Australia, fortunately we were right. Cause Pauline Hanson did make a big political splash, did come on the scene, but ultimately couldn't, right. yeah. could not usurp. In fact, probably pushed our conservative party further to the right than they'd ever been before because there was a voice there originating from our Florida, Queensland. Um, and uh, Wait, I thought Victoria was our Florida now. They're both. to lock them down. Both our Floridas. <laughs> Let's just safely say. We may be in trouble if we've got two Floridas, man. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so I think, I think that maybe three too many. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty bad. But I, I think that... Um, yeah, I think we've been really fortunate, but there's that weird thing that happens when there's a new political entity that is forthright, that is kind of saying batshit, that in the past would have been a blip. It feels yeah. like in the time of an older president's men or a time of Washington Post, if there was some like strange person who was standing on a soapbox in a square, would get the funny coverage. Like, look yeah. at this racist person that's a dope that is ultimately a racist person that's seeming to get some followers. Like, isn't that a, like a cultish thing? They just wouldn't get the platform. But what happened in Australia and that didn't manifest in any kind of a, other than being a part of our society and, and, and public awareness for 20 odd years, but it hasn't manifested anything major. I think what it does get, and uh, I think this is true of the States as well as Australia, is it lets people be racist in the privacy of their own voting booth. Mm. So when you've got some fucking demon like Hanson or Trump who says the, the quiet part loud, um, while, you know, people like us go like, that's horrible. That is, to coin a phrase, deplorable. Uh, there are people who may not vocally go like MAGA 2020, but might go, tick, yes yeah. for Trump. Tick. Yes for Hanson. Um, and that's, I don't know, you know like you, you can't you know, interrogate your neighbours. Are you a secret fucking racist? <laughs> it doesn't work that way. 
But, you know, sometimes when these people win, you got to kind of wonder, well, like it's like not everyone who voted for Trump or not any, everyone who votes for Hanson or, or the LNP or whatever is an out-and-out flag-waving, you know, wog-bashing, uh, close-the-borders vocal racist. It's, but what are they voting for? What, you know, what's in their heart when they step into the ballot, the ballot box and go like, which box am I going to tick? Yeah, I think... The thing that's so disappointing about those personalities having the airtime so much is, you know this and I know this, there are so many fucking talented, diverse journalists in this country who some of them in some networks are are emerging or they're the flagship people mm. of those networks now and like they're definitely filling a gap in, in, in our media but you, you still see the children of the corn of our major news magazine shows every fucking day where there's just like a balding white guy and three blonde women or, Oh shit, they're spicing it up. There's a brunette now. And it's just like, that's, you know, that's it. It's just blonde white people all together. And, you know, just shouting about shit that they don't fucking know anything about. It's, it's so stupid. Like Uh. if someone, this is, what is crazy is that like, and I don't know what happens to certain people, but it's like, if someone said, Blake, would you like to come and talk about Brian De Palma on our show? I'd probably go. Oh yeah. I mean, I'd go, have you talked to my buddy? Throw me out of the bus. No, 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 you fucking, you grabbed that ring. No, no, but I, I, even De Palma, who I'm very familiar with and like his, a lot of his work, and I've read a shitload of books, I've talked to him and studied him. I'm not an I'm not that guy. But if someone's like Michael Mann, oh yeah, you're I'm, the guy. I'm that guy. Thank you, thank you very much. I'll take that. But I still even feel like I would feel insecure about that because I'm like, are you sure? Like, have you asked someone else? Like, maybe this isn't. I'm not the right guy for this. And I just what I feel is so weird is that. That's in the grand scheme of things, and I know that, I, and I'm thankful for it. But like, move, discussing films as I do in this podcast, mm. and and we talk about it, it's like ultimately in, in the life and death world becomes a real trivial thing, and it's a if it's a it's a bomb, and art is important. But like, there are people who are talking about on Australian TV, and thankfully they're being litigated about it, about starting a new white Australia policy where they create an entire new stolen generation of indigenous kids. Cause it's okay to have indigenous kids be adopted by white people. And they've got a whole white panel talking about everything they know about it. And it's like, what the fuck? Who made this decision? What producer in their right mind would get that person? It's so dumb. Diane Kennelly. She's got some, <laughs> she's, she's got, got some take on this. She's got some moxie. Carrie Ann Kennelly is your drunk uncle. Everyone, she's your drunk uncle. We all have them. We see them at Christmas. They try and kiss us inappropriately and we ignore them. That's who she is, except she's blonde and has had a shitload of plastic surgery, probably, allegedly, and is now on your national TV spouting her kind of backward conservative, I'm still in power bullshit on national television. It it fucking... It, 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 it breaks my brain and, and I, and I'm, that's what I don't understand. Like we, you know, and I, I'm thankful to talk to great cinema minds and intellectual minds that come into this show, whether they be journalists, whether they be, um, people who are in, you've got that political understanding to sort of get the expertise, but like, I would not be that person that would want to stand up there. And I just think that magazine television, and especially in this country has got a lot, a lot to say for the, the passive indoctrination of people with bullshit because they try, they get people who are not experts to come on and whack lyrical ad nauseum about things that they don't know about, and especially when it's in, in regards to race or politics or social issues, and they do it at the same echo chamber, and like people are just sitting passively in their homes being indoctrinated every day, and they've got to take some fucking accountability, and it's not good enough in my mind to just go, oh well, I'm sorry about this one appearance. Here's the other 23 fucking years of this racist moron being on our show. She fucking exists and has a living. She should be on a street with a placard. She should be like, if I had my wish, it would be to plant her straight and to die with a vengeance right on that street with that placard with that word that ends in a hard R and just fucking leaving her there and seeing what happens. Let's see what happens. And you've been listening to All the President's Minutes <laughs> with Blake Howard and his special guest, Travis Johnson. Uh, this podcast used to be about a movie. 
It, At one time. It, but no, you're right. You're right. They always get the wrong people to talk about the wrong shit. They just do. I remember once, um, I won't say who it was, but it was after one of the, the awards uh, nominations got announced and a lot of, lot of prominent uh, women directors were kind of shut out. And I got asked if I wanted to be interviewed about that. And I just sort of went, when you, when you get a fucking female film critic to do that, like you don't need old white guy crab to come in and go well the reason there aren't enough dames in the oscars this year is no no you have to pick your commentators yeah um but also pick me because i need the money uh but no it's true like sometimes you've like i've been in the position where i wound up writing about stuff i wasn't entirely authoritative on and in retrospect i'm like yeah i should have knocked that back but you know had to eat that oh no 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 i'm just expanding i'm just expanding the scope to say but when you're looking at the the entrenched constant uh, whitewashing of, of opinion and it and it's political and social and cultural opinion in the in the mainstream shows and the mainstream kind of opinion journalism of our time. Yes, um, you know it's it, it's great to think that we all live online now and we no one watches the Today Show and and um, and Good Morning Australia, but it's fucking wrong. It's simply not true. <laughs> you're living in a bubble. Don't lie to yourself. Um, but yeah, like. That's how these opinions get entrenched. That's how people get the idea that it's okay to fucking hold forth stupid opinions on matters which they have, like, you know, no what of. Yes. Um, and, you know, that's how we wind up in the situations that we find ourselves in today. Yeah, it's, it's you know, I, I think that that's the, you never, in a 24-hour news cycle, obviously you can, it's, it's in, insanely hard to expect even really great institutions and publications to consistently get the right people to talk about them in the level of urgency that things happen. And I'll share a funny story in just a second, but it's like, I think when we tie it back to this film, it's like that is the relief that this movie has is the editorial guidance and also the editorial straight up pushback mm. of something not having legs. And that's something that I think that we've talked about on the show a little bit, like outside of obviously the cinematic craft that we talked about at the beginning of this show, but it's like, that's something that I think is something that is valuable is, you know, maybe as a, a, maybe it's a behavior that I do. It's like you have your outlets that you follow, even if you have a diverse outlets, but trying not to get too swarmed by the constant click of those outlets yeah. because it's actually watching a story emerge over several days. You watch the, 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 the current um, maintaining journalists like mm. actually say important things and develop the story over multiple days because they're doing further investigation instead of just a tickatate cycle of repetitive yeah. this happened, information. This happened. This, oh, that didn't actually happen. So yeah. printing a retraction, but that's <laughs> it. But the original falsehood is still going to be up. <laughs> yes. All, uh. all, all, all those, all those things. I think that that's one of the things that I look at this movie and I look at even just these moments in this minute and go, they are so guided and 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 protected, if you like, by this. If you don't have this, it's done. Yeah, and that is something that I think is missing. <laughs> Maybe that's a di me diagnosing, in my opinion, of what is missing. Maybe it. we should talk about the the Ron Howard film, The Paper. That's a good movie. Yeah, it, but you know, Glenn Close saying, you know, mm -hmm. like, you know, if you know, we'll hang him today, we'll we'll save him tomorrow. Yes, you know, we'll, we can always print a retraction. Yes, and uh, and Michael Keaton fighting. It's like you know, if we don't get it right, what are we here for? And bad editors, unfortunately, been played by women, and also in state of play with. Oh yeah, which is, Helen Mirren plays. You know, after all the gush that I say about Ben Bradley, both in this movie and the gush you can say about Tom Hanks, if you're a fan of the post, um, and even Peter Skarsgård in Shattered Glass, you know, like holding Hayden Christensen to account mainly for his performances in the Star Wars prequel trilogy. But it's, it's that the unfortunate thing is that a woman in that movie as well is like, Oh, who gives a shit? Just get the clicks half mm. do the story. And it's the journalists, the, the old hat journalists going, no, no, that's probably not a good idea. Cause we're going to have to do a backflip on this. If we're wrong, um, that, you know, that's those, those portrayals don't help. No, no. <laughs> those portrayals don't help the fake news, uh, lionizing the editors who are like, yeah, just print whatever. Who cares? Um, sensationalize it. doesn't matter. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a, there's there's a lot of good journalism movies and a lot of interesting journalism movies. Paper's a good one. Broadcast News is a good one. 
Um, in our time, the Insider, Shattered Glass, uh, Nightcrawler is a really interesting one. Nightcrawler is it's exactly like the, the flip side is, of what we're talking about. It is. It's the guy. It's it's Woodward and Bernstein. <laughs> it's Woodward and Bernstein if they want to if they just decide to kill people and film it <laughs> instead of they're knocking on these doors, they kill them. <laughs> they kill them in the houses. <laughs> it's the alternate card of this movie. Um, mate, sorry. Thank you for, uh, uh bearing with my tirades. Oh, usually no you're, worries. You, usually, man, usually, usually you're the angry one. I know. Uh, <laughs> you're so happy to see me. It's yeah. nice. I've been, uh, I've been meditating in lockdown, man. I've, I've found inner peace. Oh, look at you. Bullshit. Yeah, um, that's, yeah, it's a complete lie. One funny story. I'll tell you, I was going in, to our national broadcaster to speak about, I think it was the Golden Globes. Mm -hmm. I was in a tuxedo and I was ready to rock and roll to talk about them. And I had just, I was living in Newtown in Sydney and right in the center of Sydney is basically where the, the broadcaster is. And I was just about to take two glasses of champagne, like two champagne glasses and a bottle of champagne to just have on the show and just start yep. drinking with the host to say, look, this is how much the Golden Globes matters. Yep. So let's have a drink hmm. because it doesn't matter. It's like 86 people chose these awards. They spent probably millions of dollars putting these broadcasts out there. We're talking about it now. So this is how important it is. I didn't do that. I didn't take the champagne. I forgot. That was lucky because on the way to the studio, oh God, David Bowie died. I know where I was that day. So do I. <laughs> I was in the cab to the National Broadcast. I was watching The Hateful Eight. <laughs> it was right around that time. It was. I was at the press screening of The Hateful Eight when we came out. Everyone's yes. phone exploded. Everyone's phone exploded. Yeah. And so uh, they get me in to do this and go, hey, look, we're hearing reports, rumblings that David Bowie died. And I'm like, well, the confirmation's here. And I held my phone up because I follow his son, Duncan, Duncan Jones. Jones. And I'm like, Duncan just said, my dad's died. Like, I'm not going to be on here for some time. And they were like, would you like to say a few, <laughs> a few words and you're like, about David Bowie? And I'm like, very fortunately, I could yeah. say things about his, like, even at a, at a base level about his influence on the music industry, his incredible versatility and mutation throughout his career. And then also his incredible contribution to movies, mm. even though he was so selective and had these little dalliances, but when he's in movies, they just seem to pop. Yeah. They have, yeah. there's a, there's some magic that happens. Yeah. Your labyrinth, your Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. Uh, I mean, the even, hunger. The, even the prestige, prestige. when he walks in as Nikola Tesla, the whole movie, like no one it, really talks about the Linguini incident, <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> Linguini. You ever see that one? No, oh yeah. <laughs> that's a banger. Check that's, that one out. That's <laughs> a recommendation. Not one of his finest. Oh, uh, Zoolander. Zoolander is good. There we go. Zool you brought it back. You brought it back. And <laughs> brought it back to all the presents. But I just remember in that moment, it's like there's a live moment demonstrating that there was an urgency to talk about it mm. and to have an expert and to have someone who was notable potentially on screen. But all they had was you. All they had was me. I have a similar story uh, where one time my uh, my friend Blake Howard told a producer at the ABC <laughs> to get me in because he couldn't make it in to talk about um, The Irishman and yeah. how that was going straight to Netflix. And I was an old hand at ABC Radio by this stage, so I went, sure, no worries. It's a last-minute thing, but I'll just, you know, like I'll, I'll just jump on the next bus. I'll be right there, um, you know, looking like shit. Um, <laughs> hadn't shaved and hadn't brushed my hair, just threw on a jacket, made this sure I was wearing jerk. shoes. This and jerk, Blake Howard. And, and, and straight down there and what Blake didn't mention and the producer didn't mention and nobody fucking mentioned until I turned left to go to the... <laughs> the radio studio and they went no the tv studios over there was that it was for television it was live television so after a brisk 30 seconds in the bathroom plastering down my hair with tap water i was on our nation's broadcaster talking about martin scorsese well bless you yeah bless you i sorry that they didn't tell you that <laughs> no one told me oh well look you hey, but to be fair 
plastering down your hair with water, you knew the subject. Oh, yeah. You could talk That's to true. it. That's true. You know. Know a thing or two about Scorsese. Scorsese. A thing or two about a thing or two about Scorsese. He's uh, a friend of ours. Yeah. He's the master. He's the maestro. Mate, thank you so much for coming on all the present minutes again. Thanks for having me. I knew it was going to be fun. I knew it was going to be fun. Um, and I, I think that uh, I really like your forthright voice because uh, Facebook is a hellhole that I don't often occupy myself on. And one of the thrills um, that, and I will make sure that I link it in the description of this episode, is if you do follow Travis, Travis has like his public persona, if you like, I guess that's what they call it. Like a follow, like a following persona that you can have on Facebook. It's not like just like friends. And so there's a whole stack of people that follow. And Travis is one of those guys that people say great stuff and there's great conversations and movie stuff. And then sometimes there are people who are just batshit and it's a hellhole on there. Yep. And you hold people to account for their craziness. And, and, and it's just a, it's such an interesting little community that is around you it is that quite it, a thing it is it is a thing it is quite a thing indeed and uh, i admire you for um your forthright opinions on there and just sort of uh no matter how brazen they are uh, folks are <laughs> they get equally brazen responses sometimes which are, are, are very great and i appreciate you so thanks mate well it keeps me entertained and apparently it keeps you entertained. <laughs> it does so keep me entertained. more than welcome. <laughs> Where can people find you? Where's the best place for people to find you at the moment? Uh, let's do... Uh, oh, sayaloadandwhiskey.com and sayaloadandwhiskey.com.au is about to be relaunched, possibly tonight if I get home and finish the last couple of tweaks on there. Ooh, so my website, nice. which I haven't actually updated since like November <laughs> last year, but I spent a little time in lockdown um, putting it onto a, a WordPress framework, jigging a few things, just you know making sure it all looks fucking schmick, got a new logo done. You Beautiful. Know, got host the whole shebang um, so like that'll be up like this week beautiful I think at the moment if you go to celluloidandwhiskey.com you'll just see my old um, blogger site which looks like shit and I think the last article <laughs> on there is about like Rambo Last Blood so that's how out of date that is um, but you can always find me on Facebook you can find me on Twitter Celluloid and Whiskey um, I write for everyone everyone like I'll turn up you Google if you Google my name like <laughs> Travis Johnson film critic you'll get something you'll get something you'll get something just like we got on this show. We got more than something. Thanks, buddy. You're the best. <laughs> so are you, man. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.